Blog Talk Radio. I'm going down, down into silence. I'm going down. Dark wings will guide me. And Podcast. I'm Rev Kess. Kali Sarah is on the line with me as well. And uh, we just heard Dark Wings from Windy Rules, The Wolf's Sky. Good evening, Kali Sarah. How are you? The, I love that song. Uh, Windy Rule, you can't go wrong. I know, right? And, you know, <laughs> we're going to be talking about fallen demons, so I thought that was rather appropriate. 
Yeah, that works. That works definitely. Uh, have you recovered from your latest batch of, batch of uh, pretzel making? The last tray of pretzels came out of the oven like five minutes ago. So no, there's no recovery. There's only dual. <laughs> But timing, timing, literally right before the show starts. Yep. So we have a guest tonight. Yes, we do. Would you like to do the introductions? Andy! (laughs) That is such an amazing (laughs) introduction. Thank you. Yeah, right? Uh, We have Andy Pelliquin, who is what you you're, you've got the third coming out uh, pretty soon, or you're finishing up the third. I yeah. just put the second one out today, this weekend. Yeah. So if people miss your launch, shame on them. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> But yeah, you've got a third one that you're already finishing up, and the second one just came out, and the first one is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, the third one is already submitted to the publisher, so now, as soon as I recover from the madness of book launch weekend, I get to work on the fourth. Woohoo! Oh, oh, wait, you mean it doesn't stop? Oh, God. <laughs> Not if you're writing a series, dear. I don't want to do this anymore. Oh, yes, you do. (laughs) True. True, true. Like, hey, I'm waiting for the eighth. I'm waiting for the eighth. (laughs) Wait, the eighth what? The eighth of September. Oh. Oh. Two days after my mother's birthday. What's happening uh-huh. on the 8th? The day before my 20-year class reunion, which I may or may not be going to. But no, Sarah, what is happening on the 8th? Uh, Two Weird is coming out. Yes! Yeah. Your first novel. Yeah. Oh! I know. I'm panicking. I'm literally in a state of panic. You certainly don't sound it. If that if that helps you feel better, <laughs> I, I I am you know they told me in high school that I was a horrible actor that you know like I, I did the whole thespian thing and they were like you're not very good at this and I'm like no I spend all of my time acting in real life I'm not sure how to translate that stage. <sighs> Ah, but the insanity of being an author. I mean, it is kind of crazy, isn't it? Yes. Absolutely, it is. It is nuts. (laughs) So, how did your book launch go? It went really well. I mean, it's it's still going on right now. It ends in another two and a half hours, three and a half hours or so. So as soon as I'm done here, I jump back on over it to the event and continue talking to people and posting and this weekend in a a coffee fueled fit of nonsense I just decided that I was going to randomly introduce people as whatever came to mind so I introduced the last guest as 
um, the National Geographic Horse Taming Champion for the last six years consecutive. Just every introduction, something totally random and funny. <laughs> that is awesome. And, of course, you've been sharing the link for tonight's show, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Which means I should probably go look in the chat room to see who all's shown up. Yeah. I told all the people, you know, you'll be able to, to hear my voice across the airwaves, super seductive, and so we'll see if anybody actually shows up or not, you know. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Are we supposed to do super seductive? Okay. All right, guys. Bedroom voices. How are you? Hello, oh, and welcome I'm to fine. Pagan Musings. We <laughs> 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 do the rest of the show in our bedroom voice. That was that was pretty good. I don't really have a bedroom voice. I just have like a quieter voice, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could that could that could veer off into you know psycho stalker type of thing real quick. Yeah. No, Sarah, I thought you were the psycho stalker. Me? Oh no, you just stalk our. Yes, to get them I to say yes. Guests. I do. Totally stalk people. Like, be on our show, be on our show, poke, poke, poke. And it's not that difficult, really. <laughs> so those who love are to talk about in, themselves. Well, yeah, know, right? of course. But for those who are tuned in right now, you know, we we have Andy on. We've talked about a little bit about his books, but we don't really know anything about them yet. Ooh. So I should I should talk about myself now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my my favorite part of the show. Now, I'm actually really shy about talking about myself, so I'll make it super short. My work follows the adventures of a half demon assassin known as the hunter. He's the the boogeyman of his city that everybody's afraid of him. And he gets hired to do all the most difficult contracts and stuff. But you you're introduced to him and you see how ruthless he is and how great of a killer he is and then almost immediately you see that he goes to his home and he interacts with these beggars and people who he's invited to live with him because because of the fact that he's an, uh, a half-demon, he's very much an outcast, and so he's taken these other outcasts in and brought them into his home. So it's this interesting look at not only what drives someone to kill, but also the psychological the psychological profile, I'd say, of a killer. Not a serial killer, but the kind of person who would become an assassin for a living, let's say. Okay. <laughs> now, I, I I will say at this point that uh, your In the Days, A Tale of the Forgotten Continent is probably waiting in my inbox right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to your, your website and I uh, went, oh, hey, sign up for a free book. Why not? Okay. 
Free books are always it, awesome. It, it'll get well, yeah, yeah, freebies are always a great <laughs> Yeah. Well, actually, if you like freebies, the first book in the series is free today on Amazon until midnight, whatever Amazon time is. So it's the perfect introduction to the world of The Hunter. Going there now. All right. <laughs> when am I not going for free books, right? And when am I, I actually going to find the time to read all of them? <laughs> I have no clue. But yeah. there we go. And thanks to Sarah and her uh, uh, getting all of these author guests on that we've had over the last several weeks. My to-read pile, well, it's all Kindle. Well, not all Kindle. I've got one hardback. Um, has gotten bigger by leaps and bounds. It's sort of the curse of the writer that – at the beginning, we were all readers, so it's so hard to divorce ourselves from that love of reading. But then we want to write at the same time, so we try to divide our time and attention between reading and writing. And then writing takes over, and then we miss reading, so we go back, and it's this never-ending struggle between those two desires. Truth. And, and so true. I would like to point out something. Yeah. It doesn't matter how long it takes you. To get around to reading them, so long as you leave a review once you're done. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know. I uh, I commented to one of our uh, guests from earlier this month that I'd finished reading his book and I was waiting for book two. He's like, please say that on Amazon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, hey, well, I'm logged into Amazon. I should probably go over to his uh, books page and uh, go from there, right? <laughs> yep. There we go. I am so glad I don't have to type in the full title. I am not always the best at spelling. (laughs) (laughs) That's what, uh, you know, spell correct or spell check, excuse me, and Google are for is to make sure you're spelling things right, right? Absolutely. Yep. Because, well, let's face it, a lot of us who write uh, sci-fi, fantasy, or some related genre... Some of the words that we use don't actually come up in any kind of spell check. <laughs> it's like, you, you're, you're trying to say what? No, I am not trying to. Nowhere in my life have I ever wanted to say what the duck. I'll just put it that <laughs> You haven't? I mean, I, what is wrong with you? I think the I, writer of the Howard the Duck heart. series. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, sounds like some very interesting books that you are working on. Or, wow, if you just sent book three off to the publisher as you're launching book two and you're getting ready to start book four, do you sleep? I do, but I also work really hard. Um, Actually, book three was submitted to the publisher a month ago. And I wrote the first draft of book four at the beginning of this year. So I'm on the the second draft right now. Mm. Mm. Okay. We're we're just Mm. in awe of the amount of work that goes into that. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm really in awe right now because, well, you – 
you're getting ready to start book four, Andy, and Sarah's working on book two. And I haven't even gotten past page 12. (laughs) (laughs) Of one of the books. Well, I'm I'm going off in a different direction at the same time that we'll talk about probably next Saturday, but... Because this is about Andy and his books tonight. Yes, so we must hear more about them. Mm-hmm. More about the... What was that? We must hear more about your books. Oh, okay. You you said something and I didn't understand it. It sounded really funny. I I went attempting demon voice and it kind of failed. Oh, okay. I think it um, went more like well, uh, talking into the fan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't think I can talk about myself for an entire two hours, but I will, you know, try to stretch it out a couple more minutes at least. So let's go back to the beginning. I was born. No, I'm, I'm just joking. I don't. <laughs> I'm actually kind of an interesting person, author-wise or person-wise, not the character, the author. I was born in Japan to a French mother and a Canadian father, and spent 14 years living in Japan and 14 living in Mexico. So, I'm sort of a mutt from everywhere. Yay. Okay, so that's like the and second uh, author mutt we've had this month. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a lot of us out there. We're just hiding in the shadows, masquerading as normal. What is this normal that he speaks of? <laughs> um... It's true. I think I used that word to the wrong crowd. <laughs> I tried doing normal ones. I got fired. <laughs> Not good at it. Yeah, but it's 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 funny that uh, like I was thinking about this last year. I wrote a, a post, a guest post last year about how that has influenced my writing. The fact that I have never really had anywhere to call my home, you know, my country or my the place where I grew up. I moved around a lot, and all of my characters have that same thing. Um, One of the characters, the one from the In the Days, the Atlantis story, he was born in one place and then his parents transplanted him to another place. Or the hunter, the character from my novel series, he is, uh, he has no idea where he was born or who he is. He's known as the hunter because that's that's what people called him. They gave him the name the hunter as the boogeyman and he has no idea who he is. Um, I have a character in a side series that I've written is uh, sold by her father at a young age. Like, none of the characters have a sense of home, and that's something that I, I, you know, it comes through subconsciously from my history of moving around. Mm hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, the thing is, every character you write is going to have just a little bit of yourself in it. Yes. Even if it's the scary part. I'm not telling you which one that is. <laughs> Well, there definitely has to be some some of that that scary part, or you know, that's what makes for a good story. Mm-hmm. The truth is that, like a lot of horror and dark fantasy, even fantasy, the villains, the there's that part of them that is like our wish fulfillment. You know, the villain who can kill the peon that displeased him, 
and then we go to work the next day and we realize, oh, this you know, underling or this boss is pissing us off and we would love to be able to kill him the way our character did, but you know, there's that small element of wish fulfillment in everyone that we write, especially the, the villains and anti heroes. Yeah. I mean, um no, no, no. <laughs> no <laughs> Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I mean it's it's like um when you when you write those kinds of things, you get to a certain extent to live out having a life without consequences. Because yeah, consequences are horrible, and adulting sucks, and and all this other stuff. And <sighs> I just want a millionaire to support me for the rest of my life while I cuts around and you know do whatever I want. Not I think that's awesome. that's probably the life that everyone wants. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, somebody's got to be the millionaire, though. So. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Still gonna be my millionaire? Um, huh? <laughs> hey, I'm looking for a sugar daddy right now, okay? So I can just stay at home and write. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's like one of the one of the list of requirements to be a writer. Would like a sugar daddy, mama, you know, whatever the the appropriate mm. gender requirements are. <laughs> what if you don't? Care? Like, no. Uh, okay, you want a sugar parental unit? They are brilliant. Yeah. And if you can come up with some, you know, catchy way of phrasing that, that'd be great. Um, I would just, I just want a patron of the arts. Somebody should treat me like I am, you know, Michelangelo, and support me because I'm so awesome that the world needs my stuff. Yeah. Well, in a manner of speaking, <laughs> everybody who buys your book is a patron of the arts. True. But they're not supporting you every breath of the day. <laughs> they should. I was just going to say the same thing. <laughs> well, yeah, they should. They should. Come on, people, fulfill my dreams. Well, once the book is officially released, we can see what happens. No, no see what happens. I should be majorly successful on the first day, right? Isn't that how that works? Pretty much. (laughs) It could. It could. Yeah. I'm not holding my breath on that. Sorry, I'm I'm trying to inject realism into it before my brain goes way off in other directions on my my new project. Party paper. Because I need to keep it real for my new project. So, sorry. Should I just close down that window? (laughs) Probably, yeah. (laughs) Close down that window, focus on the show. Um, Definitely. Wow, computers are being crazy. Okay, so... Andy. Yes, sir. 
in the bio that we have for you, you uh, are described as a third culture kid to the core. Is that in reference to your moving around a lot? Yeah, third culture refers to uh, living in a place or being born or raised in a country that neither of your parents belong to. So a French and a Canadian parent growing up outside of France or Canada, I'm a third culture kid. Okay. I, it, it's just a term I wasn't familiar with, so I wanted to make sure I was understanding. I was kind of guessing that. Yeah. I love the brief list of some of your favorite books from uh, your childhood. Sherlock Holmes and that that book. My dad got that for me on my – I think it was my ninth or tenth birthday. I read that thing to death, and then I gave it away when I was 17 and moving around a bit more, and I was so sad. And then I saw the exact same edition on Amazon, and I bought it, and it's now sitting on my shelf in a spot of honor. Cool. Yeah. Yay. Uh, you know, I I, my I parents... grew up watching PBS and the Sherlock Holmes on that, and then reading the the stories and all that. So yeah, I'm right there with you. But you were saying, Sarah, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, my parents always made me get rid of so many of my books because you know something about there being not enough space in the world. Or, oh, God, we have to move these again. Now I'm like, I want to share these with my children. You will never remember the title or the author for this book. Mwahahahaha. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> I love you, too. Yeah. It's very sad yeah. that well, we can't comes... spend more time reading. I know, right? Mm. See, that's what that's what happens when you have the formation of the forty hour work week way back then. It should have been six, six, six and six. You know, six hours of work, six hours of reading, six hours of me time, and six hours of sleep. Right? Right? I'd go for that. I know, right? That's not enough Six sleep hours for me, but not everything get. else. <laughs> yeah. Only other authors truly appreciate the need to have six hours of reading day time every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes the, like the only season. six hours. <laughs> <laughs> what about Stephen King? Well, you know, he wrote the book on writing, and in there oh, he, yeah. he is a proponent of reading, and he says, you know, it's very important. So now when I read, I tell my wife, I'm sorry, I'm just, you know, doing research, practicing my craft here. It doesn't work, mm-hmm. but I tell her that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I keep trying to justify my binge watching on Netflix as research. It all depends what you're binge watching. Yeah, true. Criminal Minds. Okay, oh, very important yeah. research. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, the Following. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. very good. If you're writing serial killers, very important. 
Okay, the opening scene to the book that I'm working on is a uh, very bloody murder. <laughs> See? Research. It works out perfectly. It's research. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, there's there's some shows that I won't even touch, but, you know. You know I'm, I'm uh, sitting next to the uh, poultry, uh, not poultry guys, uh, Friday the 13th, the television series. Getting ready okay. to watch that. That's more research. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's not like I binge watch, you know, cooking shows. That just makes me want to spend more time in the kitchen. Yes, well, I love those. My wife and I watch Master Chef every week, and then every because se- it comes out on on Wednesday, so we watch it Thursdays, and then we think, oh, we should go out for dinner tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you there. But I would say, at least for me, Criminal Minds is a show that I definitely consider research. The idea for The Hunter actually came from an episode of Criminal Minds where this guy has a voice in his head, and the only way he can get the voice to shut up is by killing people. And that's exactly what Mm -hmm. The Hunter does. He gets the voices in his head to shut up by killing and giving them what they want. And it sounds like the uh, Dark Passenger from the Dexter series. Yes, very similar. In one review, actually, they called it the Dexter of the fantasy world. (laughs) That's a good phrase. Yeah. Ooh, speaking of reviews, today I got my first troll review on Amazon. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. And it was like... It was like the person had read Harry Potter and said, what's with all these wizards? Everyone knows that wizards aren't real. It's just, it's just the story is built around these concepts, so if you find them hard to understand, fine. But like, it, was, it was just funny that that was what they chose to focus on. And it wasn't, oh, there's some plot hole or there's some big problem. It was just the fact that the character who was supposed to be immortal wasn't actually immortal. That was the whole point of the story. So. <laughs> okay, so uh, somebody forgot to take their suspension of disbelief medication. <laughs> it's true. Uh, but you know what? Until you get that first bad one, you haven't truly made it. That's so. right. But someone told me that I'm not officially an author until I've had my my work pirated. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Listeners, do not pirate your books. Pay the authors. Pay the authors. Of course. Oh yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> an interesting. An interesting thing about that, when one author released their latest book, they actually distributed it to the pirates, to torrent sites, so that they got hundreds of thousands of downloads, or millions even, and then the people went back and checked out the other books by that author. So it it actually worked out in their favor. Hmm. (laughs) I could see how that might work, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, the the big thing about pirating, though, is pirating is a an issue of consent. If the author wants to give their books away through whatever means they choose, that's one thing. But it should be their choice. That's true. Because, you know, I'm all about the giveaway. Yeah. It should be their choice. For sure. So. Well, like you, Andy, saying that uh, book one of the Busolari series is uh, available uh, for a free Kindle download from the Amazon page to celebrate the launch of book two. Yeah. Right there you go. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it is now it's sitting actually... on my Kindle. Awesome. <laughs> Buried beneath the other the, the massive pile of other books that you have sitting on your Kindle, right? <laughs> well, well, you know how Kindle works. When you add more books to it, if you're looking at the, you know, just the downloaded or the or the uh, recents or whatever, it has the most recent one at the top of the list. Okay. So it, yeah. There's a there's a book that I got over a month ago that keeps creeping further and further down, and I have to remind myself to you know look for it when I'm looking for the next thing to read. So right now, your your book is at the top of the list. Well, I think you should probably just go ahead and read it first. That seems like just the best <laughs> way to proceed. <laughs> but I'm in the middle of a book. Ah, yes. No, I know that one. What I do is I, I have a, just a Word document, and I every time I get a new book to uh, to review, I just put the name in at the bottom of the list, and I just go down that list and eliminate them as I read them. And it inspires me because sometimes there's books that I'm really looking forward to, and so I, I get through the other books more quickly so I can get to the ones that I really want. Mm-hmm. There's an idea. Yeah. With my music Wait. and book reviews, there's an idea. There you go. It might work better than sticky notes. <laughs> you can't move on until you've read it or listened to it and written the review. Mm-hmm. Yes, or contacted the author and said, you know, I wanted to give this an honest try, but there's XXXXX that I just... I can't give it a good review. Do you want me to give it a three-star review, or would you rather that I just not? And at least that way the author knows that I read it or read enough that I could pass judgment on it. You know, me and my high horse passing judgment. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what? There there have been a few books, and admittedly they were like, um, uh, you know, 1970s sci-fi you know, when everything was like B-movie sci-fi? The little tiny mm-hmm. paperback? I, I've had yeah. a yeah. few that were, that were like that, and it was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through the first chapter. And a few lines later, okay, I'm going to get halfway through this first chapter. I'm going to do it. A few lines later, I'm going to make it to the end of this page couple lines later, I can't do it. This is horrible. This is so horrible. Yeah. Yeah, no. It's definitely... Because I have so little time to read, when it turns into a chore, it's really difficult. So when I when someone mm-hmm. asks me to review a book, 
I will check out the, the Amazon Look Inside feature or ask them for the opening chapter. And if I can't get through that first chapter without cringing too many times, then I'll just tell them, I'm, I'm sorry, I can't. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. On the other hand, you know, it, it's kind of nice to be uh, um, forced to endure that once in a great, great while. Because it reminds me that they got published. They got published. <laughs> True. And, and that's a very, very optimistic way of looking at it. <laughs> yep. Felt that way about a few romance novels, too. It's like, man, this thing got published. There's oh. hope for me yet. <laughs> Twilight, perfect example. I've never seen so many <coughs> crappy grammar mistakes as I have in Twilight. Yep. Yeah, the the writing was not great on that. Never even attempted to read. Me me neither. No, I just I just figured I hated it so much I had to understand why I hated it. So I I read the first couple of pages and, and I just put it down. No, no, I can't I can't do this. I have too too much self esteem for this. <laughs> yeah. When I write reviews I do kind of like a double review. I do the reader's perspective and then the copy editor's perspective. Okay. And I'm just like, oh, wow, and you, this was professionally edited? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, if you're looking for a good story, it's a good story. You're looking for a well-written story, it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I've done that in a lot of reviews where you say uh, the the story itself, there's a lot of things about it that I like. I like the character, is well-developed. Um, but when it came to the actual construction of the story or something – it fell short. Like I just reviewed a, a book for a friend. She just launched her first book. The characters were excellent. The world building was excellent, but the book ended in the second act. Like there was no big climax. There was no third act to finish out the story. So it felt incomplete. And so I put that in my review and it, it docked a star because no matter how great the characters were, no matter how complete the world if there's not that that exhale at the end, it's not a complete book. Mhm. And using the excuse of it's book one in a series is not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's they have they all have to be good, and that's really mm-hmm. the struggle. Okay, so let's let's go with that. Writing a book series. What are the okay. specific um, joys and pitfalls of writing a series of books rather than standalones? Well, one of my favorite parts of it is bringing back the characters that you love, you know. I wrote this character, the hunter, and I was I was so hooked because he's this total badass with just enough humanity to make him relatable. So there's this 
challenge to keep him a badass, to keep him hard and cold in many ways, but then to give him enough of a character growth arc that by the time you get to the end of not just the book but the series, you think, okay, I like what he did here because he got you know better, he became more heroic or whatever, but he's still very much the same badass, cold, hard character that he was. And it's a challenge that it's very difficult but so much fun. Yeah, I think that you you get a lot of pressure to develop a character even more across the series than you you actually have to for an individual book. Very true. Phil. Yes. <laughs> Nothing to add to that? Um, well, I'll just put it to you this way. I, when I sat down starting to work on the book that I'm doing right now, um, I was you know, just planning a one-off. And at my last count, I've got uh, basic plot ideas to go through four books. And yeah, it's it's a lot of character development to where they continue to grow throughout the series. Uh, some interesting twists, at least I think, in how some of the characters are going to be interacting and what elements to bring in when. You know, what's going to be believable in the world at you know midpoint of book one is still got to be believable at the end of book four. But what's mm-hmm. being brought in in, like, book three doesn't necessarily have to be even hinted at in book one when it comes to some of the character development or some of the plot twists and all that. You know, it doesn't have to be a, anything that the reader's going to be expecting. And really, you don't want the reader to expect everything anyways. Otherwise, it's a boring book. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to you really have to to build on it. For example, at the beginning of of my book one, the hunter is this cold, hard badass. He kills people without a thought. He is a killer at heart. By the time you get to the end of book four, which I'm working on now, he's still very much a killer, but he's changed in so many ways, but only because the journeys that he went through throughout book one, book two, and then book three to where book four, he's sort of at that place where he's slowly, gradually changed. Not enough to make him a completely different person, but enough that there's that there is some small amount of growth between each story. And that is half the challenge of writing a series, is that you don't want to have each each book be a complete character journey from start to finish. He, you don't want to have him overcome his challenges overnight. He can't be, you know, the inexperienced sheep herder to the most powerful wizard in the world overnight. It's going to take you maybe not just one book, but six to ten books to get him there. And so each one is one small step in the journey. And it's it's important and difficult when writing a series to layer them carefully, not too much, not too slowly, but give him enough of a growth and change that it's, like you said, believable, but then also it gets him or her where they need to go by the end of the story. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, I, I, I like that you pointed out that the growth doesn't necessarily make them a different person, just, you know, slight differences. That's how people yeah. do grow. You know, that's that's how real life growth happens is, you know, I'm the same person that I was 20 years ago, but not quite. But kind of, but no, but yeah, but no, no, maybe, yeah, kind of, no. I can vouch for that. <laughs> But you know, it's it's exactly the way that that characters develop, that people develop. Is those little incremental, subtle changes where you know maybe used to be a real badass, and then you know there was that kitten incident that we don't talk about, but now there's this little soft spot. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about the kittens. Meow. <laughs> Another hey, challenge. I'm all about cats. <laughs> yes, another challenge. Um, another challenge of writing a a series is changing up or going bigger every time. Mm-hmm. When you start, when you write the the first book in the series. Sometimes you have to you have to make a splash. So you have the antagonist, someone big and bold and colorful and uh, terrifying, so that there's plenty of of fear and anticipation and those ups and downs that you use to hook the reader. That's very important. But if you go too far in the first book, if you go too big, you have to keep escalating or you have to keep changing, and it can often be difficult to keep getting bigger and bigger until you get beyond the realm of believability and you end up shooting yourself in the foot because you went too big in the first book. Mhm. Yeah, that that is a, a really big thing and it, there but there are ways to get around that too. You know, like um you can have the the massive bad guy in the first book and then instead of a massive bad guy and maybe you change it to a more or less equivalent bad guy but far more psychological effects on the character. For sure. Or, you know, the bad guy is just as as bad but um, instead of going after random people, maybe he goes after a family member. You know, you, you can you can ratchet it up that way too. For sure. Or there's another way of doing it, of of making it, of not going bigger. For example, in in the first book of my series, there's two demon characters who are the antagonists, and they're big, they're colorful, they're loud, they do big bad things. In the second book, there are antagonists, there are demons that show up, there are villains. But the main villain, the main antagonist, is actually the voices in the character's head. All these other conflicts are more incidental to his conflict, his inner conflict. So instead of going so much bigger, it's making it, like you said, more personal, narrowing in on the character more, keeping those outside forces working against them, but having themselves 
as another one of the antagonists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh. Sorry, I keep thinking of all of the torturous things that I'm going to do to my character. And it makes me giggle, <laughs> which is probably not a good sign. Yes. I had one of my beta readers contact me the other day. She's reading uh, the the first draft of book four, and she texts me, I hate you! How could you do this to the character? And I was like, ha ha, it means I did it right. <laughs> yep. Yep. There was a, a meme that I recently posted on one of my pages. It was like, reading books is so relaxing. It's like you throw the book, you curse the writer, you swear, and you you throw a hissy fit over what's going on. So relaxing. Yes. Yep. The the other one that I really like is the one where it's like, I just hate it when the world continues on as though I haven't just been, you know, destroyed by the the hands of a paperback. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's what—that's how everybody felt at the end of the first Game of Thrones TV show, and then the first Song of, of Fire and Ice book. They were like, mm-hmm. "What the hell just happened?" <laughs> well, casting Sean Bean—that's all I'm saying. Everybody should have known it was coming. He—he was—that was the what made him into the meme, no? Of Sean Bean always dies, or was that a meme before he came on Game of Thrones? That was uh, before he came on, because uh, that that meme came about um, around the time that the first Lord of the Rings movie came out. Really. Although I don't think it was actually a meme at that point. It was more like a, an idea because I think that movie came out before Facebook was really big. Yeah. But, yeah, I, cause I know memes he, only got big in the 2010s. Yeah. But, yeah, Sean Bean, um, he died in, in The Lord of the Rings, but he also died in Equilibrium. And uh, there's been, like, a million movies that he's been in that... He died. Every, it's like every, every single movie. one. And then uh, he was recently in uh, Jupiter Ascending. Okay. Which didn't uh, didn't get very good reviews, but I liked it. But <laughs> one of the interesting things that came about from that was um, his character didn't die, <laughs> and so literally that was like the the second main thing that everybody was talking about in the movie was. Sunbeam's character didn't die. Yeah, and then the Martian, too. Yeah. Yeah, because, uh, let's just, let's go do this. Let's, let's play this game. Um, get to the part where I actually know some of the movies he was in. Patriot Games. I think he died in that uh, one. Okay. Um, he did this whole sharp series, which obviously he could not have died in those because there were more than one. Yeah. He uh, he was in Golden Eye. I believe he died in that. Twice. <laughs> just for 
making sure. Yeah. Um, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, uh, Equilibrium, he died in both of those. Um, he was Odysseus in Troy. He couldn't have died in that. Odysseus didn't die. Yeah, he stayed alive in that one. Um, he died in the island. I don't remember if he died in National Treasure, but yeah, it's he dies a lot. He really does. Man, he's still doing those those sharp ones. He still? didn't die in Percy Jackson. He was Percy Jackson. He was Zeus. You gotta love it when Sean Bean is Zeus. Yeah. I love Sean Bean. He's good. Wait, Lee, wasn't Liam Neeson Zeus? Um, in the Thor movie? No, wait. Liam Neeson as Zeus. We're just gonna go all over the place with this, huh? Neeson, Zeus. No, there is a reason why we have musings in the name of the show. <laughs> we just go everywhere. Hey, this is research too, because you know what? Liam Neeson was Zeus in Clash of the Titans. Because when you are writing about these kinds of characters, you know, you have you have the, the Liam Neeson Zeus and you have the Sean Bean Zeus and you have the the various portrayals of Odin. And some of them are more of what you think about when you're writing the character than others. So it's research. Yep. Every everything is research if you're smart enough. Oh no, I I needed to go buy this snack because I needed to see how it tasted for when my character eats it. <laughs> very important. I think my character will like various kinds of ice cream. <laughs> Chocolate fudge pickles. <sighs> Ooh. I'm sorry. Getting distracted with frozen treats. It's like, I've got pina colada popsicles. Pina colada popsicles are very good. Oh, yeah. Anyways, um, it is getting on to 8 o'clock, so I'm thinking it is time for a musical interlude in which we ponder Liam Neeson as Zeus versus Sean Bean as Zeus and whether or not Sean Bean should die in his next movie. (laughs) There was actually a hashtag going around called Save Sean Bean. Mm -hmm. But it's so much fun. Do you have music picked out, or should I? Go for it. Okay. I've been in the mood for this one since last week, so uh, Omnia's Tauranus Upiter.
Jupiter by Omnia off of Wolf Love, and you are listening to the Pig Musings podcast with myself, Rev Kess, Kali, Sarah, and our guest, Andy Peliquin, author of the last Bucellari series. Uh, book two was just released two days ago, August 19th, and uh, we're talking about that and book one and all that fun stuff. And, you know, hey, Andy, this might be a good time to uh, share your URL for your webpage. Well, it's just andypeliquin.com. It's nice and yeah, easy. Yeah, real easy. Yeah. As long as you can spell Peliquin. I'm sorry? As long as you can spell Peliquin. Peliquin. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just P-E-L-O-Q-U-I-N. It's actually pronounced Peliquin. It's French-Canadian, but 
no one has ever gotten it right outside of my family, so I just go with Pelican. It's much easier. <laughs> Understandable. I have to uh, uh, send the link to a friend of mine whose mother was French-Canadian and see if she gets it right on the first try. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Yeah, actually, the uh, the books sound like they would be right up her alley, anyways. So perfect. It, she loves it when, when I share titles with her. She's like, "Oh, oh, oh, more, more." She reminds <laughs> me I got to give her book four of a series to read. Oh my! But, but oh my what? Oh my what? Oh my book four. Yeah. I know. It was weird. Don't mind me. Do you know how I, I get my you. husband? Do you know how I get my husband to read books that are similar to the stuff that I'm writing so that he can better beta read my work? Mm. I make him read them aloud to me. Huh. <laughs> well, he's He's dyslexic, and so the pacing of reading a book aloud actually works very well in his favor. So it it increases how much he reads, and it puts me to sleep. That's always a nice a nice bonus. So guess what he's going to be reading next? What? Hmm. It wouldn't be book one. <laughs> Then I'll have to make him do book reviews too. Hey. Uh huh. There you go. There you go. He does have his own take on things, which I greatly appreciate coming from him. It's 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 nice to get you know a different view on things, and he's just young enough compared to me that it's almost like hearing from a, a different segment of the population on things. Wow, I just made myself sound old. <laughs> yeah, you just you just dated yourself right there. Nah, nah, nah. Uh, there's not a four in the start of my age, so I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I was I was gonna say, don't start talking about how much you you enjoyed I Love Lucy as a kid or anything. So, well, no, in reruns. Dark shadows. Well, in reruns. Yes. Of course. But the people who actually watched I Love Lucy as a kid would never say reruns, so, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, it would be in syndication. Yeah. <laughs> and now, like I said early on in the show, I grew up on PBS. So, you know, I was watching British television sometimes as much as five years after it aired there, and it was new! Wow. And enjoyable and all that. You know, Doctor Who, got to love it. The original. Oh, I just started. I just started the Doctor Who's last week. You didn't skip Eccleston, did you? No, I started. I, I, I made sure to, to put out feelers, and so I got, like, 75% of people told me to watch Eccleston, so I watched it. And thank God I got to Tenant, because Eccleston was kind of annoying me by the end of his run. 
Eccleston is very emo in that character, but for good reason. Well, you know, actually, I I enjoyed him. It was the, it was uh, what's her name? The Rose, his companion, Rose, right? Rose. Yeah, she's she, annoying. Oh my gosh, she's annoying. She bothered oh, me a lot. I can't believe so many people love Rose. I'm like, dude, Donna Noble all the way. <laughs> Who's Donna Noble? You'll get oh, you'll there. you'll meet Donna Noble. Is You'll that the, the tenant companion? Um, one of. One of. Oh, the, what's her name? Karen Gillian or something? No, that is Amy Pond. That's the one. That's the one that I'm looking forward to the most. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't much care for Amy Pond until Rory died. Just saying. Okay. Oh, did you but just spoil something big for me? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but let, let me tell you something. Over and over and over again, I can watch the um, episode with uh, uh, Van Gogh. Okay. It's a thing of beauty. It is a thing of absolute beauty. Anyways. Anyways. Oh, my gosh. We're good. I, I am not a Whovian, okay? I am not a Whovian. Just because I've watched all of the episodes and just because I remember them and have very strong opinions of them does not make me a Whovian. I refuse to accept that label. That pretty much You're only a a Whovian. Well, uh, I was going to actually go to Sarah's defense and say you're only a Whovian if you can name every single actor who has ever played the Doctor. Yeah. Uh, No, I can't, but um, I am also going to... uh, become hated throughout the Whovian world. Number three was better than number four. Yeah. Just saying. John Bertwee was a great doctor. He really was. <laughs> he was hilarious. Everybody goes to Tom Baker because he was the doctor the longest. Yeah, but he was kind of mean. Well, yeah, kinda. I want his scarf. Everybody wants his scarf, but he was still kind of a jerk. Quite often. And I have John's jacket. It doesn't fit me anymore, but I have it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we've lost Andy there, I think. We were talking classic (laughs) doctor there for a moment. But yeah, Yeah, I, I, I am one of those that can name every single actor who has played the doctor including the one that almost everybody else forgets. Well, the two that almost everybody else forgets. John Hurt? No, no. Hugh Grant? (laughs) No. No, Christopher Lee. Mm, I'm sorry, what's Christopher Lee? It was Peter Cushing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yes, he was the original movie doctor. Okay. I haven't I haven't been hooked enough yet to go back to the original one. So I'm I'm hoping David Tennant. After watching him in Jessica Jones, I had to watch Doctor Who to see his performances because if he can deliver anything half as good as Jessica Jones, I will love it. Wait, didn't you just you just got into Tennant, right? Yeah, I just watched so you, the Christmas thought... episode where he's introduced. So you, you, you saw the thing about the tea. The tea? The tea. All he needed was a good cup of tea. 
Oh, I haven't gotten to that one, that part yet. He's still sick in bed. Ah! Uh, well, all he needs is a good cup of tea. It's hilarious. Okay. And uh-huh. no, he's not a ginger. He's what? He's not a ginger. Very sad. Someday he needs to be a ginger. Well, they made, they made him purple in Jessica Jones, so that was original. Yeah. <sighs> okay, so anyways. But have you cried yet? That's the big thing. Have you cried? No. What kind of a horrible person are you? Everybody lives? I mean, come on! Everybody lives! I almost Everybody died. Lives. I probably shouldn't have been watching Doctor Who at 11 o'clock at night all by myself, but... Oh, is that is that after John Barrowman sacrifices himself or something? No, no, oh, no, 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 no. She becomes the all-powerful TARDIS thing, no, right? No, 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 no. Everybody Lives is the one where the little boy with the gas mask. Yeah, I don't remember Everybody Lives. Yeah, it's when part it, when two after uh, uh, Captain Jack is introduced. Yeah, yeah he goes and he he takes the right. bomb and then he's gonna die. No, no, it's it's the part where um, when the nanobots get everything figured out and they start fixing everybody, because uh-huh. it's literally the only Doctor Who episode where nobody actually dies. Oh, okay. And so it's like very poignant because he he's always surrounded by death and and he finally gets a, a, a situation where everybody lives and. And he's so happy. It made me cry. Huh. I'm just gonna go Interesting. <laughs> the one, the one that that I thought was the best was the I think it was the second one where the tree girl sacrifices herself, pulling the lever so he can get out to warn people or to save Rose or something. Yeah. That was the one that that was the best for me. That was good. Oh, by the way, I hope you really, really like the face of Bo because he's come back and you're going to love it. Okay. <laughs> Spoilers! Spoilers! I didn't spoil nothing. I didn't tell him that he finds out who the face of Bo is. He, I know who it is. Sorry, as long as I don't find out who else dies. Or oh, you know, any other, dies. other big important secrets, I should be okay. Well, the, the when you get is, the opportunity, though, you do need to watch the classic ones. Okay. There, they're they're cheesy, them, like, but they're good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I enjoyed how how sort of wild Eccleston was. Everything about him is just so boyish. Like like how he sends the 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 monster in that one to his room. I loved that. It was so funny. Mm-hmm. But Rose just drove me nuts, so Yeah. I I hear you on that one. Now, the actor who plays Rose, Billy Piper, she's been in a more recent series where she's, I think she's excellent. Mm-hmm. Which one? Um, Penny Dreadful. Oh, I saw the first season of that one, and mm-hmm. she died and was brought back as Frankenstein's bride, right? 
the monster's bride, yeah. Okay, yes, that sorry. <laughs> Technicalities. And that's yeah. one of those ones that you you feel really stupid for getting wrong because you know you you hear about that all the time how it's not Frankenstein it's Frankenstein's monster and so I know that and so the fact that I got it wrong is just humiliating. <sighs> no need to worry. No need to worry. Um, you know we've we've really digressed. <laughs> And as I often say, aggressive one color is mighty boring. But, um, you know, we've talked about some of your early influences in the realm of books. Um, you know, with Sherlock Holmes. And we didn't actually mention by name uh, Phantom of the Opera and uh, uh, Father Brown. Oh, yeah. But, um you know, what's been some of your other early influences to make you want to sit down and write? Well, it was sort of an interesting journey. After reading the the Sherlock Holmes novels, Sherlock Holmes is pretty much early fantasy because there's that fantastical element of his deductive skills and sort of everything. It's It's classic detective novel, but there's that fantastical about it. So it kind of got me thinking about that. And then I encountered Tarzan of the Apes. My teacher loved the the black and white Johnny Weissmuller Tarzan, so we would watch all of those old movies. And then I started reading the books, and of course they're fairly different. And then that led me to the the Warlord of Mars series by the same author, and that was just like a revelation because those stories are classic, not sword and sorcery, but I'm going to say sword and science, and they were so good. They were just that that classic swashbuckling hero. You know, John Carter swoops in to save Deja Thoris, and he does it again after she gets kidnapped in the next book, and then in the next book, and then he goes saves his daughter, and then his son, and then his son goes and saves his wife. And, you know, like, it's just those classic adventures in this science fiction fantastical world. And so after I read those ones, it made me want to read fantasy. And Bayon.com has a or had a very wide selection of free books online. So I devoured pretty much every fantasy book I could find on that site. And that's sort of what got me into reading fantasy and then eventually writing it. Just named a lot of good stuff. <laughs> no denying yep. that. Um, when I was uh, in sixth grade, uh, we had this, um, yeah, sixth grade, we had this reading competition uh, it, within my, my homeroom class. And, you know, we're talking junior high, so yeah, whatever. Uh, you know, where we were uh, to read, you know, whatever we wanted to read. It didn't matter if it was comic books. It didn't matter if it was pulp fiction, uh, historical fiction, whatever. You know, as long as it was, you know, moderately age appropriate. You know, in other words, like a beeline novel would not have been appropriate. Oh, I just dated myself again. Um, <laughs> but uh, and we had to write a uh, book report. 
to prove that we had read the book. Well, now, obviously, the teacher's not going to have read every single book that we're going to read, but that's besides the point. Uh, the prizes that were given at the end of the year for the top three readers in the class were based on the kinds of stuff that we read. So, okay. And it was... Uh, you know, number of pages read or number of minutes spent reading or something like that. I don't remember exactly what the uh, uh, goals were set on, but uh, I got second place that year. I was a little wow. disappointed that I got second place. I know, Should've right, first. But Yeah. Uh, the first place <laughs> winner got a young adult book, uh, you know, on, you know, a, uh, a, a kid and his dad going out hunting. I don't even remember what the book was. And the teacher gives me as the second place prize The Hobbit. Oh. Uh-oh. Sixth grade, I'm reading The Hobbit. She's like, yeah, it's just, you know, I went with what you like to read. I'm like, okay. You know, style and, you know, level of reading and all of that. I don't remember what third place got, but, you know, it was like we did three years in a row of this reading competition thing, and it was just, it, you know, it was fun. It was a way to get us all to read, but just, you know, what some of us would get into for reading, wow. <laughs> no, I was in, like, sixth, seventh grade reading college level and above. Wow. And explains why some of my writing gets as complicated as it does now. Uh, yeah, I've I've always been a reader. Well, I shouldn't say always. My parents thought I would never learn to read until well. they figured out that I needed glasses. <laughs> that does help. <laughs> and then once I got glasses, I could actually see the words on the pages more than squiggles. Uh, you couldn't get a book out of my hands. Yeah. One of my earliest yeah. memories is is sitting and reading an encyclopedia, uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica, and loving the pictures, and then finding the mythology section and just devouring the Greek mythology and Roman mythology and Norse mythology. Mm-hmm. That's some good stuff right yeah. there. I think I read every single uh, book that Bernard Epsilon put out in his mythology series. He had uh, uh, Greek, Roman, and Norse. Uh, they were short books, quick reads, but you know, good jumping-off you know, points for going into other things. Yeah. And uh, oddly enough, I was actually called Encyclopedia Britannica Boy when I was in school. <laughs> And it wasn't because I would sit down and read the encyclopedia or the dictionary, which I would. It was because, do you remember those commercials for the Encyclopedia Britannica? Nope. You may be too young for that. Sarah, do you remember them? No, I don't specifically remember them. Uh, the kind of geeky blonde kid with glasses and a kind of, you know, not really long hair, but not short haired, kind of had a flop to his hair. The shaggy hair? Yeah, kind of shaggy. That was me. That looked like me. I was not him, but uh, I, he could have been my brother. <laughs> Let's, uh, now I'm going to have to go on a Google quest to see if I can find him. 
<laughs> Your brother? No. But the, you know, a picture of the uh, kid that did those commercials. <laughs> okay, Andy. Pop quiz. All right. When did you start writing and why? Started writing at the age of 10 because of an elementary school teacher, the one who was a fan of science and literature. He was he made us write poetry and haikus and short stories in order to get good grades, like for extra credit. And then mm-hmm. at the age of 15, I had way too much time on my hands and no internet access, so I wrote the the high-octane, Fast and the Furious meets Mission Impossible story that every 15-year-old boy wants to read. Six chapters in, total rubbish, deleted everything. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first book. Yeah, and then participated in a few online writing competitions, won one of them, and started writing what eventually became In the Days. I I got about 60% of the way in and stopped writing for about six years and then picked it up and finished it in two months in late 2014. And that was the official beginning of my career as a writer. Now, why did you decide that, I guess, how did you decide that writing was even a real possibility? Well, a friend of mine owns a comic book publishing company, and I had written uh, for these competitions, I had written short pieces, some of them that I was very, very proud of. Uh, One that I wrote on Halloween's evening, I just got this mental, this snapshot of this this group of dark hooded figures sacrificing a child, and I mm-hmm. wrote this short story. It was about 2,000 words long, but it gave me shivers every time I read it. So I sent it to her, and she was like, oh, my God, I love this. I want to make a comic book out of it. And just that comment made me think, okay, well, this is maybe something I can do. And then I wrote a a short four-book comic book script called The Last March of the 13th Rifles, very um, the 300, but in a fantasy setting with dwarves and elves and gunpowder, stuff like that. Tons of fun. It will come to light someday, either as a a comic book or a novel or novella or something. Mm -hmm. And then I wrote the graphic novel script that eventually became Blade of the Destroyer, the first book in the last Bucellari series. Awesome. Yeah. And what's your favorite thing about being a writer? Probably writing. <laughs> Just the writing. I, I I actually come from an incredibly creative family. My my oldest sister does my book covers. My youngest brother did the super awesome map in book one. Uh, my older and younger brother are both graphic designers. My little sister's a writer. Like, everybody's super artistic. My dad's a musician. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't hold a paintbrush. I couldn't even color in the lines properly. So I had no art, no way to express myself until I found writing. And it's just, it's been such a such a cathartic thing. I'm able to express the way I feel, the way I think, who I am, 
onto a page and share that with people even when I have a hard time like opening up to to my friends and family and telling them how I feel being able to put it down gives me the freedom to express myself Mhm. awesome so you have a lot of support system with your family I do I do I try not to take too much advantage of them <laughs> but they are very good. My my younger brother actually is my harshest critique. He's studying journalism and creative nonfiction. He's actually studying the art of telling a story and writing properly, like he's getting a degree in it. Mm-hmm. So I send him my work, and he shoots it to shit and you know, says, okay, you need to change this. And I, in the book three, I had to rewrite the entire second half almost because – of a few comments that he said that just didn't work with the story. So the story remained mostly the same, but a lot of it had to be rewritten and changed and restructured. Mm-hmm. And so he's my, my harshest critic, obviously in a good way, because he wants me to succeed. But he'll, he'll ask questions or he'll say things, you know, one sentence that will just completely destroy my story structure. And so we <laughs> talk about it for like three or four hours, and then I fix it, and it's way better. Yeah. Those are the best ones to have. Yeah. All right, and your least favorite thing about writing? Uh, the writing. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> it's it's you yeah, yeah, it was pretty par for the course. No. You know, the the editing is always pretty sucky, but the one thing that I find is the hardest is just writing those scenes, you know, where the character is walking down the hallway. He's just come from an awesome action scene, and he's going to an awesome awesome action scene, but you have to tell the story of him walking down the hallway and describe the hallway and you know give all the boring details because if you don't you your your readers don't understand the world or where the person's at, so mm-hmm. those scenes are so boring because you want to get to the good part it's just right you know the next chapter the next scene is going to be so good, like in in book four, the hunter he climbs out of a window, climbs across the face of a tower, crosses a bridge, and all of that, like it's a thousand words or so describing what he does, because you have to tell what he does. And mm-hmm. right after that, he's in a fight scene, he gets captured, he's tortured, just these awesome, you know, graphic, brutal scenes. But writing that scene of him climbing, you know, using the words to describe climbing in the balcony, and the, it was just so boring. <laughs> You like it when they do stuff. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I'm great at the doing. (laughs) Excellent. Now, um, what would you say was the most significant thing that you have learned in your journey as a writer? It's actually interesting. I was diagnosed with a mild case of autism, Asperger's syndrome. Mm-hmm. And learning that, it sort of put into perspective a lot of the things that I, you know, understand and don't understand about quote unquote normal human interactions. Um Asperger's is it's one of it's a social thing more than anything. Um mm-hmm. I don't want to do something and I don't understand why I should do it or why people think I should do it, so I'm just gonna do my own thing even if it's not the social norm, so to speak. So a lot of it is just about social interactions. But then there's the emotional side of things, too. 
that I had to learn about. And then so learning about how my brain is fucking with me every day, the way I think, the way I act, the way I talk, um, has really made me interested in why other people do what they do, um, how their brains or their bodies or their past or things like that mess with them. And so on the face of it, the the last Bucellari is very much an action story. It's violence, it's assassins, it's murder, mayhem, all of that. And yet when you read it, when you delve into it, you come to understand that it's really like a psychological profile of this person. This this mm-hmm. person, you get inside of his head and you understand why he kills and what's driving him and what's stopping him and you know the different aspects of his personality. And then as you get deeper into the world throughout the various books, you see other people who are affected in other ways. In book two, there's someone with a strong case of paranoid schizophrenia attacked with PTSD. In book three, there is someone with what's called Williams Syndrome where he doesn't understand that someone would be trying to hurt him. In book four, you meet a sociopath and a psychopath and the different ways that they interact with the hunter and try to get what they want and accomplish their goals. Like each each story that I write base, is based around something more than just a good story with action and adventure. It's really like a look at some element of psychology or physiology, some way that the human body or the human brain is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really love that because I, I do the same thing in the sense that every single one of my books has characters who are uh, disenfranchised minorities, et cetera, et cetera. But the book is never about that. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a, a, a way to bring in those those uh, types of people without making it about those issues specifically. Yeah. And yes. You know, so I was actually going to ask if you have any Easter eggs like that, but I guess you do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, every every book has something. And I'm actually putting together a collection of short stories that set in the same universe as The Hunter. All of my all of my work for the immediate future is going to be set in that same world. Mm-hmm. I'm not so, you know, vain to believe I can go Brandon Sanderson big and create this massive cosmere of universes and all of that. It's all going to be just set in the same world. But the series of short stories, each one is going to look at a different something. For example, I just wrote one about a kid with a very, very low-functioning autism where he's, he's very, a very severe case of autism and sensory mm-hmm. processing disorder where his eyes or the, the, his eyes pick up black, like uh, whether it's shadows or whether it's black paint on a canvas, and his brain processes it as a picture. He sees mm-hmm. people's deaths painted on these canvases. The, the book says, I paint the black picture because there is no one else to do it. And so he paints these pictures. They're all black, so only he can see it because his brain is processing it, the, the visual stimuli, differently because of sensory processing disorder. And the autism, it makes it hard for him to communicate, and he's sensitive to light and sound and things like that. Or I just came up with another idea for someone with fibromyalgia, this, these unexplained chronic pains all over her body. She developed it, and P- 
people see it as a gift of the the lonely goddess, the goddess of broken hearts. So she has the ability to take on people's broken hearts, you know, the pain of their broken hearts, and it manifests in the form of fibromyalgia pain. Just wow. like different ways of of looking at these these very real conditions, but in a fantastical element. Mm-hmm. That is cool. It will be when I write it. <laughs> you know, isn't that always the thing? It's like, okay, I would like it to be done now so I can see how it looks. Yeah. Yeah. It's difficult to try. I I just started writing short stories last week, two weeks ago. I, I have a really hard time with shorts because I like to get into details and I like to build and make things bigger. So it's hard to keep everything just really narrow and focused on this one snapshot, this one look at someone's life. So mm-hmm. I'm as I get better at it, I'll keep putting them out. But I'll, I, you know, I'll keep working on these 120,000 word novels, and so we'll see when they actually get written, these short stories. <laughs> yeah. Well, and short stories make great teasers. Yes, they do. Phil, do you have any questions? No, I've just been enjoying and thinking, hmm, those are some stories I want to read. Those are some stories that I would like to share with people who have those conditions. That was the idea. As well as thinking, yeah. Go ahead. No, sorry, you were saying. Oh, and I was also going to say as well as thinking, hmm, a short story teaser. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting, like the the broad spectrum of disorders and conditions that could spark a story idea. Like, I have an idea for um, a city guard with PTSD, how it affects his life, or. Um, someone uh, who's been both physically and emotionally abused and sort of how how that's perceived in a in a fantasy world taking from real life people and their real life experiences but putting it in you know viewing it through the lens of a fantasy world so really intended to shine a spotlight on how these things affect people in a in an entertaining way as it were mhm and of course without painting um, sort of the the victims or the people who are suffering these diseases in a negative light. Yeah, and you know I think that's that's the most important part of it is, you know, making making people uh, characters that they can identify with, without making them the typical disabled characters. Yeah. If if you, if you can see my air quotes going on. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> One of the most unique stories that I've ever read is by a, a, an author named Greg Zimmerman. He's published by the same company that I am, J. Ellington Ashton. And his story is called Queen of Bones. And the whole story is about a woman with, or a girl with rheumatoid arthritis. And because of her rheumatoid arthritis, she can feel the, these solar flares – you know, the sun is emitting these big solar flares, so it's destroying the world. She can feel them 
like two hours before they come so she can get to safety, you know, get inside a shelter or get underwater or something. And so because of her disability, as it were, she's survived. And I'm not going to spoil the story, but it helps her to, you know, in the end triumph in whatever way she does. But it's such a unique way of looking at something that is such a very, very clear disability, being unable to move this debilitating pain and weakness, but it saved her life. And men who were, you know, in the peak of their health or women who were the most beautiful, they're dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, that's actually a really fascinating thing to look at is the way that... Um, the way that we consider uh, health and ability isn't necessarily the way that nature would consider health and ability. You know, we we see things as very black and white, very, you know, this is a good thing, this is a bad thing. But, you know, nature tends to have this this way of taking the, the good things and making them into disadvantages and taking the bad things and making them into... Bonuses. Yeah. So yeah, I I can I can see that you know there's there's a lot of people who find that that kind of story intriguing where you know you kind of turn those those pros and cons on their head. Yeah. And thank you. You just gave me another book to put on my wish list. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna tack on one more just because it's one of the best books, indie books that I've read in a long time. It's called Angels to Ashes. It takes this weird look at the apocalypse. That's as much as I'm gonna say, but it's it's so interesting. I think this may already be on my wish list. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> By author Drew Foot, Foot with an E at the mm. end. Or maybe you pronounce it Foot or something, but it's it's one of the first – I do book reviews on my blog, and it's one of the first books that I gave a five-star review to. I could not put that one down. Mm. That's usually a good thing. Yeah. Otherwise, it's probably like crazy glue on the binder, something like that. (laughs) (sighs) So, yeah, I think Sarah and I have come to the same conclusion whenever we have an author on. More books to read, more books to write. Yeah, always. So, we know what you're going to be working on, kind of. Yes. You know, you're working. You're starting to work on book four in in detail. It's probably all been percolating for quite a while. It's uh, actually and, uh, written. Oh. Yeah, it's going through the, the the rough draft is put down. It's been off to the. The slicers and dicers, the very harsh critiques, they've got me all their notes, so I'm ready to get 
working on the draft to send to the people who you know polish up the the smaller details. Basically, by the end of the year, probably the beginning of next year, April, it will be with the publisher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. And then the whole and long uh, hurry up and wait process. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, like like I will always be working on other things. So like um, mm. as soon as I finish this draft of book four that I'll start working on tomorrow, as soon as I finish the draft, I'll send it to the better readers and I will start writing the rough draft of book five so that when I finish the rough draft and I send it off to the alpha readers, I finish book four and submit it to the publisher and get back to work on book five. Like, I've always got two or three projects in the fire at any time. Wow. Dedication. Yeah. Or insanity. Absolutely. Yeah, a bit of both. <laughs> Depending on, on, on who you ask. If you talk to my wife, it's very much the insanity. <laughs> So what does she think of this whole writing thing that you do? She sees how how happy it makes me, and she loves that. She's not a real fantasy reader. She she read the first book, and she she didn't tell me that she hated it. So she had good things to say. So I guess that's that's great. She's got the second book now sitting on her nightstand. We'll see how long it takes her to to force herself to read it. But but she likes the fact that I'm creative and writing and pushing hard to succeed. Good. That's always good. Sarah, you were going to yeah. say? Uh, I was just going to say, you know, supportive spouses are the best. Just, I, I don't know how I could ever get along without my uh, husband being supportive. It just wouldn't happen. Absolutely. It's vital to the success. Yep. Yep, they do the whole can feeding of the author thing. Usually, <laughs> literally. But, uh, well, um, we are getting close to the end of our time, so let's uh, finish up questions and repeat websites so that people can get the goods and find the stuff. All right. Any last questions? Bill? Um, not at Anything this point. Just really would uh, you know like to share again with all of our listeners where they can find more about you. Well, all you have to do is go to Google and Google Andy Peliquin. That's P-E-L-O-Q-U-I-N. Uh, my website is andypeliquin.com. I'm on Amazon is Andy Peliquin. My Twitter, Facebook, everything is Andy Peliquin. So just Google that and you can find everything about me. I do book reviews on my blog with suggestions of awesome new books to read. I have resources for those who are beginning writers trying to figure out how to make it work in this crazy, crazy profession. Uh, Resources for established, published writers needing help finding reviews and information, plus some pretty awesome books. I'll, I'll admit slight bias on that last one, but, you know. 
<laughs> now, didn't you just put together a collection of what was it? Oh gosh, um, you put together a collection of resources or authors. Yeah, five hundred. 501 websites and blogs currently active posting in 2016 that do book reviews. Um, It's organized according to genre, um, whether it's on YouTube or Facebook or a website or blog. Like it's organized, so all you have to do is go in, see it, find what you want, submit to 100 plus websites in half an hour. Let me tell you something. Ain't nothing like a good review or Amen even just that. a review <laughs> to get the motor going. Yes, absolutely. So. Anything Pardon me, I had to there? mute myself there, had a cough. Um no, the the website looks like it's got lots of good stuff going on. Uh, the Ultimate Guide to Book Review websites is, of course, linked there, and and your book reviews and all that wonderful stuff. So it's like, yay! And your thoughts and ramblings, of course. <laughs> we like ramblings. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ramblings are good. There's Fit some right pretty in interesting with us. posts in that section. <laughs> there's um, There's a look... At a the the Secret Service, the United States Secret Service Service published a paper on the psychology of hitmen and assassins and serial killers, and it's like I summarized it there. What would make people want to become an assassin and the reasons for for being for killing people? It's pretty interesting. There's some great stuff in there. Ooh, that would be fun to read. I mean, yes. research. It would be fun to research. <laughs> Yes. Absolutely. And make sure to delete your, you know, your your browsing history after some of the things we we do for research, right? Yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. I keep forgetting that. That's why that black van's packed, parked outside. <laughs> oh, I thought, I thought they were just, you know, thinking I was pretty. Mm. <laughs> Or maybe that explains the helicopters flying overhead late last night. There you go. And the the <laughs> curious men in sunglasses. <laughs> well, that just describes half of the customers that come into where I work, but... Ah, hmm. fair enough. Should I uh, be worried? Oh. <laughs> yes, always be worried. Bill, what is the title of your book? Mine? Only the paranoid survive. Uh, <laughs> that's a that's a good book. <laughs> so uh, yeah. we have and people can get the book for um the um the first book of the last Bustelari series on Amazon until around midnight. Yes. And they should because it looks fantabulous. Thank you. And 
they should follow you on Facebook because you do a lot of you do a lot of giveaways and a lot of like uh fun things. You're always posting things. I try my best. I really just <laughs> trying to figure it all out. <laughs> yep. So uh always good content, always good good stuff and always a little bit of humor. Got to love the little bit of humor. Thank you. So uh and are we ready to review what's coming up, Phil? Well, always. I should say I'm almost always ready to review that. Uh, yeah, um, let me actually pull up that page. No, I'm not ready this time. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. I, 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 was, I was checking my email to make sure that my copy of the book had been sent to my uh, uh, Kindle, and it has. You you were literally waiting at the at the email box for the book. Is what you're saying? Almost literally, yes. I finally opened it up, you know, more than an hour after clicking this. But uh yeah, so uh next Saturday Kali, Sarah and myself will be guests with Maiden Mother and Crone Green Egg Radio talking about whatever it is that we've been doing for the last seven years. I don't know. It's just eh, why anybody wants to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I I I'm still trying to figure out what it what it is we've been doing for the last seven years. Not Networking. sure. Is that what we call it? <laughs> That's what I call. It. Maybe we uh, should think our. Hmm? Do what? Maybe we should sync our phones. Something I don't know. That'd be really scary. I already know too much about what goes on in your house. That's true. <laughs> uh, and then on Sunday the 28th Brian O'Rain will be joining us To talk uh, the Starshot Chronicles uh, Switching gears into sci-fi uh, And then uh, Of course we've got our Pagan Weekly News Every Thursday Mostly it's every Thursday Sometimes it's on Friday Scheduling Gotta love it And then we've got this crazy person On, on September 4th with this book thing that she's written. Ooh, uh, we don't want the crazy exciting. lady. We don't want crazy lady. I've been putting up with this crazy lady for over <clears throat> years. <laughs> what was that? How many years was that? <laughs> Too many, right? Yeah. When the years turn into decades. Yeah, but I'm never letting that picture die. That picture <laughs> live forever. Oh. Yes, we will definitely have to during our show with uh, uh, Tish and Aradia Don. Uh, probably have to explain that picture. There's nothing like Sarah dressed in a full-length black gown. And were the handcuffs involved yet? I don't remember. Yes. Yes. Okay. The, pic- the picture has handcuffs, even though you can't say them. Yeah. Uh-huh. You let yourself get park. handcuffed to me. It is not my fault. Yeah. <laughs> like you're it took a dirty man. turn real fast. <laughs> Sadly, it wasn't <laughs> at all. 
No, it was perfectly innocent, even though it was a uh, BDSM guy that had the uh, handcuffs. He asked if I wanted to try the handcuffs, and I went, okay. (laughs) Yeah, the public park in Iowa City. (laughs) (laughs) But anywho, yes, Sarah will be joining Aradia and I on the uh, 4th of September as our guest. Uh, So Aradia will be guest hosting with me for the first time. And then on the 11th, we have uh, Charles Griffin and the Order of the Red Rail, a local Wiccan church, and uh, Godless Pagans on the 18th with John Halstead and, uh, oh, let's see here if I get this right, Tom Swiss, uh, 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 Cat Chapin Bishop, and Ain Orga. There we go. I actually got her name. So yeah, that's that's you know the the next month's worth of shows basically. So. And awesome. we'll have more authors and more musicians and maybe the same you know maybe both at the same time. I don't know. We're just gonna be mm-hmm. having some fun. Uh, so, no, yeah, and huh? What's coming up? November. Oh, NaNoWriMo. Yep. I'm a rebel again. I'm already declaring. I'm a rebel again. (laughs) Hey, I won as a rebel. Oh, it's working for you then. Uh Uh-huh. I haven't participated in NaNoWriMo at all. Oh, it's so much fun. I was even going to suggest that, hey, there, there's a month where you could, you know, set aside the last few Solari and focus on All your right. short stories. Yeah. And do a short hmm. story collect. Interesting. Interesting. Which, of course, doesn't mean you can't pick up the last few Solari and continue work on it during the month of November. Just, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. slow it Drawing down things a bit. Out there. Yeah. Interesting. Intriguing. I will consider it. <laughs> you will have to look us up on the website if you do. Yeah, absolutely. Get some uh, sprints going on. Use some competition. Competitive writing. <laughs> it's true. could be fun. I'm very, very competitive. <laughs> So, with that said, thank you very much, Andy, for joining us. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for having a lot me. Of it's been a blast. Around, but, hey, that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any last thing you would like to say to the listeners? Yes, go buy my book right now. Now, <laughs> that's what every author wants to say. You know, we're not really allowed to say it because it's, it's, you know, but bad form. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's passe, but you know, give give the book a chance. It may not look like your cup of tea at first, but it's a really interesting look inside the mind of a very normal, abnormal person. He may be half demon and a killer in a fantasy world, but there is something very, very human about his struggles and his problems. All right, I'm gonna do it. All right. All we are saying 
is give the last piece of Laurie a chance. <laughs> All right, there's nothing in. Okay, thank you, Sarah, for that <laughs> rousing rendition. <laughs> Should we have some real music to go out with? Real music? You say that like it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you sing better than I do, but you write much better than you sing. Well, okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> I think that was a backhanded compliment. But <laughs> do you have a music Oh, go for it. Have fun. Okay. Uh, as kind of a, uh, a, a preview of one of our future guests here on the Pig Music Podcast channel, I thought we'd hear a little Murphy's Midnight Rounders, uh, Brad Murphy being the, uh, the man behind the music there, and uh, off of there, I Am the Goddess, John Barleycorn, since we are into harvest time. <laughs> Thank you. 
Christ tree sticks to cut his 